0: Hello, and welcome to Plan Francisco, the new podcast that interviews the best and brightest financial planning professionals in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Maxwell Schmitz. I need a plan, a magic key. Magda Bester, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So let's get started by just talking a little bit about how you got involved in the financial planning world.
1: Yeah, um, I actually have a a long history uh, in finance. My father worked in finance, and um, a story I like to tell when I was young is I used to sit on the couch with him and watch the um, stocks go across the crawler on the bottom, and I would have a couple of them, and so I'd just wait to see if mine was green or red, which is (laughs) green was up and red was down. Um, And that was when I was really young, probably in elementary school. Um, yeah, so I, I go way back into finance. Um, I always knew I was going to be in this world. Um, it just so happened that it kept going. Um, in college, I was in the finance and investment club, which was you know a little nerdy, but um, was right up my alley. So I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I started my career right after school, uh, joining a wealth management company, and very quickly moved from operations into um, advisory, and found that I really, really like talking to people about finance because I understand it very well and like to break it down in a way that uh, an individual could really know what they're doing and talking about. And so um, I ended up ultimately transitioning into a fintech company after I was a proper advisor and finally decided after years of very close friends and family asking me what to do with their money that I should Really spend some time educating the world on finance to uh, make people smarter.
0: Nice. So, I just want to make sure I got this straight. You're one of the few people who actually entered this business purposefully?
1: Sure did. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) That's incredible. I'm also one of the few that went to college for something that I'm actually doing, uh, which is also rare these days. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that current day stuff? So what are you doing with Wealth in Hand? How did it come to fruition?
1: So Wealth in Hand started uh, when I was actually at my first company. I found that folks I was sitting next to in the finance industry were telling me that they were contributing $20 a month to their 401k, which is very, yeah, I hear your gasp. It's very low. It makes me very uncomfortable. It makes me start sweating sometimes when people tell me they're not contributing (laughs) to uh, their 401k. And these were folks that were smart, know a lot about finance, um, and they were either contributing almost nothing or contributing a lot, but not investing the money that's being contributed to their 401k. So it was sitting in cash. So I thought, why are people that are smart, that work in a finance company, not getting this education somewhere? So I dug around and found that our 401k provider at the time was coming to do a free talk. Um, I think it was Fidelity was our custodian, custodians where the 401k assets are held. Um, And so I went to it and there were five people in the class, two of which were falling asleep, one avidly taking notes, but I'm not clear that he knew what he was taking notes on. Uh, The gentleman that was there, I think, was over 70. The presentation was from what felt like before PowerPoint even existed. Um, And it it was bad. It was really bad. And I thought, this must be why so many of my friends outside of the finance industry are coming to me with the question of, hey, I just got this 401k packet. Can you tell me what to do with it? And with millennials changing jobs every year to two years, they get a new packet every year or two years, and they still don't know what to do with it, and so they just the problem gets progressively worse each time because then they have to actually set up something that they might not do. Um, So I thought, there's gotta be a problem here in this education realm where I know people want the help because my friends are asking me because they trust me, but the companies are just not providing either anything of financial education, Excuse me, or they are not providing quality, which is what I had at my company. There, it was there, but wasn't good, and so folks wouldn't attend. So I thought I love teaching. I was a trainer for a bit um, for advisors when I was at my wealth management company, where I would train all the new advisors that would come onto the teams um, and teach them how to talk to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love finance. I call myself a finance nerd. And so those two things together make me very happy, and I happen to be very good at it. So I thought nothing better than to try and go educate as many people as I can about finance and get them all jazzed about it and show them some really interesting ways to change their finances in a way that's relatable, because as you can tell, I'm not a 70-year-old man. Um, And so I have uh, generally a more charismatic way and approachable way to talk about finance.
0: Fair enough. And so when you're talking about training advisors versus the general public, are there any certain trends or discrepancies that you see between those two con- conversations? Are they a different conversation, or do you feel like a lot of that bleeds over too?
1: Yeah, it, that's a good question. So it kind of depends on how experienced the advisors are. OK. So a lot of times when advisors are just starting out, I know this may scare folks, but you know everyone has to start somewhere. It's same true with a doctor, right? As soon as they graduate from medical school and finish their residency. They might be in that operating room with you. um, and so It is scary, I know. (laughs) Um, My sister's a doctor, so I remember them asking me that question once, and I said, okay, I I trust that you guys know what you're doing. Um, So so, a lot of times when I was training the advisors, uh, a lot of them were very new. And so to them, they may have come out of college with some sort of finance background, but the practical knowledge that you... Learn on the job is very different than what you learn in school, which mm-hmm. is the case for most professions. And so the conversations with them were quite similar to what I talk to individuals about, except it was teaching them more about the behavioral side of mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? So when you're talking to an advisor, you want them to understand empathy, you want them to understand why somebody might do something the way they do. So, for example, um, why is it that a client, when the market gets really volatile and their portfolio is going down, going to call you and immediately say, "I want you to sell everything. I'm scared." An advisor needs to understand what's going on in somebody's head so that they can help understand if they actually should be selling those clients' advi- uh, those, those clients' assets or if they should be saying, "Listen." This is long term money. Mm-hmm. If you sell, you could really put yourself into a bad position for the remainder of your life, quite honestly, mm-hmm. by missing out on the recovery of, of this money. And so there's a lot that goes into more of the psychology of advisory work outside of the things they have to know, which is. Finance terms and and, right. and how finance works.
0: So, you were doing most of that behavioral stuff, or were you actually getting into the weeds too with these advisors as yeah, well?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. depending, you know, sometimes we would hire folks who actually had a very limited finance background. And oh, so, we, okay. you know, we built a class that was literally finance 101, where we would cool. talk about here's what a stock is, here's what a bond is, here's what insurance is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would talk about, we'd run the gamut because these were questions that they could be asked by a client. Right. Now, there are some, some folks who would just say, I'll skip it it's kind of like when you're in college and you pass out of a certain test by you know scoring high enough on it um, yeah. there are folks like that but for folks yeah. who didn't have the experience absolutely
0: so I mean just knowing that there's such a wide variety I mean there's a pretty wide spectrum of what financial planning means to people who are entering something like that you know some sort of educational process I mean, what does it mean to you? I mean, where are you coming from when somebody says, okay, I need to get coached up on financial planning or my financial plan? Where, what do you think of?
1: Yeah, for my personal and, and generally what I see with my clients, um, you know, there's a sense for a certain age range of folks, call it the millennial generation, maybe younger on the Gen X side, where they just want to know if they're doing things right right and it's it's like such a silly thing but it's the same reason why you know you maybe go to the doctor every once in a while can you just check me is there anything weird here (laughs) you know is there something that just screams out to you as a professional don't do that right um and you know there's so much advice that flies around all the time of you know if you're depending on what circle you run in if you have any folks that are in the finance industry, you have folks telling you all kinds of crazy things you should be doing with your money and how much money they're making. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they conveniently leave out if they've lost money on that decision. (laughs) Um, But it's really hard for people to navigate what is real and what is not. It's it's very similar to the health world, right? Nutrition. Are you supposed to drink coffee? You're not supposed to drink coffee. You're allowed to have wine, not have wine, right? It changes. And it changes. (laughs) And that's true in the finance industry. So financial planning, to me, is really about finding a way to make sure that you're doing okay and that is not having any gaping holes in how you're trying to progress over your future um, and making sure that you're not taking on maybe too much risk if that's not something that you're comfortable with and what that really means is it changes over time but depending on where you are in life there are certain things you should focus on, right? So, for example, if you um, buy a house and have a child, you should really start to look into life insurance, something that is not important if you don't have a home or a child because it's just not something that you need to um, have for a successful um, future if, for your children and, and to pay for your bills. But who wants um, to do that? Yeah, Right, I know, of course. Um, so what I like to do is... Folks come to me and say, I need you to look at this and tell me if I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. And we really go over important things like, do you have an emergency fund, right? Right. This is a basic entry level thing that a lot of folks don't have. Emergency fund is just a certain amount of cash that you need to have on hand um, for yourself in case You know, you lose your job or things go sour. And so we look at a couple different buckets, debt management, Mm -hmm. your investments, retirement planning, Mm -hmm. if you have children, college savings, etc. And we look at different buckets depending on where you are in life and maybe what your goals may be, which the client will tell to me. And that's really looking at your Financial future,
0: right? So it's so tailored. I mean, I heard a lot about obviously the goals, and then also some risk management as well. Is there any particular strategy that you you use to help somebody understand what their risk tolerance is?
1: I like to tell stories about what different levels of risk will do to you financially over time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I've had a lot of experience working with people who are at the end of their investing career because I was working uh, at my first company with average age of 65. Um, And so I would see what that longevity can do to you from an investment perspective and also what um, ultimately your if you have a um, retirement set up for you, um, how well it can go. So what I think about when it comes to risk tolerance is if you take on too much risk, and you can't handle that risk, mm-hmm. you are more likely to make bad decisions down the road. So what I always tell folks is, you are better off being more conservative so that you can weather the storms mm-hmm. than trying to just go as far on the risk spectrum as you can just so you can try and make as much money to as you can. Right. right. And the way to do that is you can give analogies. I tell people, you know, if, you were investing and you found out tomorrow that your money got cut in half Mm -hmm. what would you do would you call me would you um go over my head and just sell everything that you have would you not be able to sleep at night how what what do you think would happen and some folks these are some of my favorite clients say magda i never check my investments so i wouldn't know i say wonderful yeah. You can handle more risk because you're not paying attention. They you start paying attention, <laughs> that may be different. Yeah. Um, other folks say, Magda, that makes me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that feeling. And so you, from that, you can have people tell you stories of either what they've seen in the past happen to them when these types of things, if they're old enough, mm-hmm. if they've seen the markets drop, um, or uh, based on how they felt when it happened to their parents and things mm-hmm. like that. And so a lot of times analogies and stories help people really tell you how they feel about risk.
0: Right. I think that goes, it's slightly unorthodox. I mean, to talk about the beauty of having a bit more of a conservative investment portfolio for for people our age, I'd say, just because, you know, the things that I've heard from my, God, I hope he's not listening, but my more... um, Stodgy financial advisor, yeah. um, which is you know, oh, you're gonna have plenty of time to to make up any sort of losses that we're gonna get in the future. But I don't like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm very conservative when it comes to my investment portfolio. I would happily take a four percent return and and be just cheery as long you know long term. But the thing is, you know, we grew up in. That environment yep. where we saw it all come crashing down That's with right. a limited knowledge, I have to confess, but yep. I'm sure you were probably a little bit more in the know at that time, seeing yep. as you were in the investment club yep. nerding out. Yeah, um, sure but, it was. Uh, but I mean, the, the point being, people our age, I think it's not necessarily, we, we haven't really been faced with that type of bedside manner which right. interprets our angst about a volatile market and growing up with that volatility and that, especially through, you know. employment process that Mm -hmm. ensued following something like right so and it's still you know refreshing
1: it's still important i don't want you you as an advisor have an obligation to find their true risk tolerance Right. right and so that doesn't mean if you come into my office at 25 or 30 and say I want a conservative portfolio I'm okay with four percent I say sounds good here's where you sign right right because you should know listen here's what you're trading off right, right. Totally. You, you could miss out on a college educations worth of money by doing by making that decision right. um, but at the same time you could also if you go into the the overly aggressive strategy right. you could end up losing that same amount, dollar amount, because you make too many bad decisions along the way. And so you really want to make sure that you're using that combination of education to to make sure you get to what they're really comfortable with. But yeah, I mean, if if you can handle and still achieve your goals with a 4% return, there's no reason you have to hit it all the way out of the ballpark if your goals are modest enough that the 4% return will get you what you're going for.
0: For sure, yeah. and that was a little bit of an exaggeration on the four percent. I think I require a little. I'm bit
1: more sure of you do. In the industry, we always do. But there are folks out there right, who say inflation. that four percent is okay. That's oh, right. Man. You're
0: right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what are some of the more important subjects that you like to cover around retirement planning, in addition to risk tolerance and goal management? Are there any, I don't know, particular strategies, investment strategies, or vehicles that you like to explore or kind of illuminate in in the beginning of the process?
1: Yeah, so I do teach a class um, on 401ks, Mm -hmm. um, which is is usually the main one for folks that are employed. Um, Not everyone has that option. So um, something that's not heavily addressed in the industry, um, at least on the education side, is what a Roth 401k is. Um, So a lot of folks will go and most people are investing in their 401k. It's the first one that HR will talk about it and recommend. But um, I do like to talk about the differences between traditional and Roth, um, and that your employer actually a lot of times have that option. So a lot of people have heard of maybe a Roth IRA, okay. individual retirement account IRA, mm-hmm. um, versus a traditional. But the the value in knowing whether or not you have one at your employer is that the contribution limits are a lot higher. Gotcha. So this year, the the traditional 401k um, or the Roth 401k have a $19,000 contribution limit, oh, yeah. and you can do that uh, across, across the two of them. So 19,000 total between the traditional and the Roth. Gotcha. If you're doing just the IRAs, whether it be traditional or Roth, that's only 6,000 this right. year. And so ideally, if you find out that you have one at your employer, it's really valuable for some people to contribute to a Roth. Um, and also a Roth IRA has a lot more limitations on your income, so if you make too much money, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA, but you still could contribute to the Roth 401k. Right.
0: And the basic principle behind the Roth being that it's tax-free at time of withdrawal, right?
1: That's exactly right. And um, taxed on the way in as Correct. opposed to the, the 401k that's uh, taxed on the way out. Perfect.
0: Perfect.
1: Yeah. That's a that's a good one that most folks um, don't cover that I usually like to touch on to see, yeah. depending on what's going on in your life, you may want to consider contributing to it.
0: For sure. Are there any other common, well, maybe not mistakes is the right word in context of the last question or the last discussion, but any? Are, do you see any mistakes that people are commonly making out there?
1: The biggest mistakes when it comes to retirement planning is not doing it, <laughs> um, which is crazy, but uh, not taking yeah. advantage of your 401k. Because remember, um, at work, a lot of them have matching. So it's literally free money in your pocket, and the only way to get the matching is to participate. Um, so making sure they're contributing. But then the second one, which I think we talked about briefly earlier, was folks forget to invest the contributions. Mm-hmm. Now, 401ks are getting a lot better these days, and they're doing auto investments for you. So if you don't pick something, it'll just put you into um, a generic portfolio, which maybe doesn't fit your risk tolerance, but right. better that than nothing. Seems
0: a little presumptuous, doesn't it? I mean, it could It was really dependent on each person.
1: It is. And a lot of them have um, a small risk tolerance questionnaire that that they'll ask you just when you're signing up so that they know. Um, If not, there's um, a formula that is kind of becoming more common in the industry for them to give you a certain type of fund that Mm. will evolve over time with you. Um, But yes, although I would prefer they pick something than keep it in cash because if it is truly for retirement and you're not... Anywhere near needing it,
0: you're guaranteed. going to want to invest it, and right. not make
1: the mistake of not investing it.
0: Yeah, it's a guaranteed negative return. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, right. so what? Uh, can we talk a little bit more about some of the prevailing philosophies of personal finance and what you see as? I don't know. I'm calling them failures, but you might have a better word for it. Um, around, just some of the you know the the more um, well like what we were talking about before, for instance. So if you're if you're addressing you know conservative versus more um, more versus more riskier uh, investment strategies. Are there any other things like that where you think we need to relook at what the common configuration is? Does that make sense?
1: Maybe. So do you mean more on just on the investment side and allocations or?
0: Could just be, I mean, overall strategy too, or um, or even psychological behaviors where I think, you know, we we've, we've sort of, been conditioned to think, you know, take more risk when you're younger, and mm-hmm. whereas I, I don't think that's always necessarily the most um, – you can't just, you know, generalize like that, I think. Gotcha. Um, any other generalities that you've seen that might need a little bit of a refresh?
1: Um, I mean, I don't know that I see – a lot of it, honestly, is, is very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things – I would say is folks always tell you you want to get as much education as you can mm. Um, mm. and while I don't disagree with that in certain contexts education is very expensive yes. um, as many know and you know I, I think getting an undergraduate degree is is pretty much required these days for most professions but if you know out of school, that you want to do something where you work with your hands, and maybe you want to be a mechanic or um, do something that requires more of a um, fellowship mm. to learn the trade. Only pay for education if you know it is going to help you increase your salary, right? That the purpose of getting any form of education is to, and you know, this may uh, folks may have a problem with this, but should be to increase your salary over time. Totally. Um, it should not be just because it's fun, because $200,000 later, you may not be having so much fun if you're still paying for that, right? right? And so um, you know, the number one thing that you can do to help increase your savings, which this is also quite silly, increase your salary. There you the go. more you make, the more you can save. And so sometimes I see folks going and getting continuing education, masters, PhDs, etc. And when you ask them what job they want after or why they need it, they don't really have a good answer for that. And they haven't done enough research to figure out how much money they can make with that degree. And I think there should be folks, whether it be advisors or friends and family, should really poke and prod a bit more before you jump into a you know, fifty to $150,000 continuing education loan right. for yourself.
0: And I mean, even today, I mean, especially with the democratization of education and, you know, information literally available in any capacity, um, I I, I, to, I tend to agree, but I think it's still sort of an unpopular opinion.
1: Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> for yeah. some
0: reason. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to financial education, for instance, I, I feel like the content you're putting out is remarkable. So what, what sort of classes or, um, or uh, courses do you think are going to be most impactful for people um, if they're just tr- trying to get into financial education?
1: I, to get into it for themselves and like learn a little bit more? Exactly. Yeah so I would say for my business the most popular class is introduction to personal finance. Okay. Um, it's the most broad and it covers emergency funds, debt management, budgeting investing and so you kind of dip your toe into everything and then from that usually I get to learn a little bit more about what folks are really looking for for themselves um, because I teach to employers and there's a, a group of employees I like to do a survey and from there I ask what else do you want to learn about and mm-hmm. you know depending on the demographics typically if they're a little younger you um, the, the steer may be more towards student loans, um, which I teach a class on on student loans, or if it's they're a little bit older, how to buy your first home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so folks are really looking to get education on the things that are impacting them today yeah. and the things that they really want tomorrow, not too far tomorrow, probably five to ten years, right? Yeah. A lot of folks tend to think in their first milestone, not like myself, which is usually like six milestones down the road, which is okay, you don't have to plan that far in advance, sure. but um, it's helpful to uh, take a class that's impacting you at that time, or maybe the next step that you want to take, like deciding to go back to school or deciding to buy your first home, and we teach classes on those.
0: That might be a little bit countercultural to the prevailing philosophy, right? We're, we're always talking about, you know, planning for when you're in your 70s, essentially retirement planning versus just, you know, what's in the immediate future in the next five years. So is that a good way to describe your approach to the financial education process, is like, let's meet these needs now, and then we can kind of get to the next thing when we get to the next thing, or?
1: um, Yeah, it's actually, no one's ever put it that way, but I think the answer is yes. Um, Mostly because, uh, you know, there's an aspect to, future, which is things like retirement, Mm -hmm. where you do have a lot of time to do that. Now, I also, in the class, talk about the value of time, and that the sooner you start saving towards it, the the larger that can grow to, just strictly from a mathematical perspective, and I've seen it in practice. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you can't save for retirement if you can't pay your bills, you can't pay down your student loans you can't afford the place you're living. Right. Um, if you can't do those things, you're not allowed to save for retirement for all intents and purposes because right. you can't generally touch that money for a very long time. Now there's rules and exceptions to that if you have hardship, mm-hmm. um, so I'd still encourage you to, to try and, and, and contribute to retirement, but a lot of times I'm dealing with folks who have maybe so much student loan debt that they can only do so little for their retirement. And you have to get these first things right before you can focus on retirement. Now, after a one-on-one session with me, maybe things look very different six months later because we've, we've found ways to find money in different places. Mm-hmm. We've found ways to, to secure money into things like the emergency fund. And then in six months, okay, great. We're in a much better situation. Now we can start to think about, okay, how much can we start contributing to retirement? So this doesn't have to be like a six years from now you can start thinking about retirement. It's get the the, the important things done first because yep. saving for retirement is not going to help you fix your car that just broke. For
0: sure. So. For sure. I love it. I think that's a really fresh perspective, sadly.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sad, but sometimes true.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I mean, this kind of is a good bridge to the next question. It, it's... Um, You know, what I had here is basically getting a a little bit of of a more detailed sense of what sort of videos you've put out already. So um, I've seen quite a few at this point, and I think, you know, some of these really basic ones like This First That um, gives a really excellent just kind of general overview of a lot of interesting topics that are are really salient to young people. Um, But then you also do some really deep stuff in the investment portfolio allocation Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty clear where you think people need to start, but I mean, what level of detail is really appropriate for somebody who just kind of want to get wants to get the basics down?
1: Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the purpose of the videos is to be broad enough that if somebody has a question, gotcha, they can go there and say, oh, there's a video on that. Cool, that's great. Um, and if it doesn't cover all of the detail, they can shoot me a note and ask me more questions. Yeah. Um, but my goal, a lot of where the videos come from is people ask me in real time. Like I right. remember um, the FSA versus HSA, I had somebody literally say, what is the difference between, them? that was one of my clients, and I, I explained it to them and I thought, this must be a question that comes up all the time. Right. So I put it into a video and I just happened to learn better personally watching videos than i do reading which is why you'll notice i have so many more videos than i do blogs and i know that's not (laughs) right for everybody um i know there are many more people who prefer reading and so i try and mix it up but um having visuals and having somebody speak that way they can tell a story uh to me works better Mm -hmm. and so i'm hoping that that may be the case for some folks um but the intention is when you have a question, you can just go check out the videos and see if that answer is there. Um, if you wanted to get started, I would just take a look at the headlines of what the series are called yeah. um, and and dip your toe in based on what sounds the most intriguing to you.
0: Cool. Love it. Um, what is the most popular video on there? Is it that personal finance 101? or?
1: So I, I didn't. I think from the video perspective, the one that's been watched the most Mm -hmm. is um, How the Stock Market Works.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: that investment series is probably my favorite. It's why I started with it because Mm -hmm. it is just something that a lot of folks know nothing about even though they hear about investing all the time. Um, But it's really fun for me to truly explain how the stock market is working and when you buy a stock, what does that even mean? Yeah. Just so basic and intuitive for me, but for some folks, they, they hear, oh, I'm buying Apple, I'm buying Google, but they really don't really know what that means, <laughs> um, which is crazy for, for finance folks yeah, to, yeah. to think that. So that was a really fun series for me to make because my first one, so it was probably the least, um, probably the, the worst quality of all of them, but um, it, was, <laughs> it was such a blast to talk about. I, I had so much more I could have said, but tried to keep it as short as possible. Um, cool. So that one's, those ones have been the most popular.
0: Fun, fun. So where do you think... The world of personal finance is going in the next five to ten years
1: it's a great question um you know i do think for the younger population so call it the millennials mm-hmm. i think they are going to continue to look for an advisor that maybe isn't Um, charging based on how much money they have Mm -hmm. with them and Mm -hmm. charging on the what we call basis points so um, you it's a percentage fee usually um, per month or sometimes uh, every quarter Mm -hmm. or year uh, where they charge on the fees of that because I I think we're getting more and more used to paying as we need things Mm -hmm. Um, that said it's not the best advisory model. Right. Um, it's really hard for advisors to do that because there are things inherent, especially if you're managing somebody's money, which is not what I'm doing. I'm giving advice and, and talking to folks and setting them up with the right tools, but I am not picking the stocks in their portfolio right. and monitoring it on a on a regular basis. Um, but it's hard for advisors to to do an on-demand fee for right. things if they're going to be managing the portfolio on a regular basis, yeah. um, but at the same time, I I genuinely think that this on demand fee is is an age range problem, mm-hmm. um, not a a permanent uh, decision by this group. Because I do think as millennials get older and a new generation comes in, millennials are going to want more attention. Mm-hmm. You know. I I used to work in fintech and I was implementing robos for massive institutions and the biggest question I get from advisors was, are you trying to steal my job? And then six months later, they were begging for the product because it's not stealing their job. It's it's allowing them to scale their business by taking away the paperwork and things that you don't want to be paying an advisor to do. Why would I want to pay you hundreds of dollars an hour to push paper around? I don't want to do that. I want you to do the things that... You have a really strong skill set in which is managing money, helping me with my finances, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we get older, we will want the advisor again. Mm-hmm. I think now younger folks don't because they don't need it. Like, you don't need to have somebody managing your money that you can talk to on a regular basis right. if you can go to a cheap robo to just make the investment decisions for you. What you need is somebody to help get you on track, mm-hmm. um, help. Make sure you've got the accounts in the right places and check in periodically.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um,
1: but I think as your situation gets more complicated, as you have kids, as you have property, mm-hmm. um, maybe if you know a family member having for passes away, and you have to start to deal with more complicated things like life insurance, etc., um, it might be good for you to have one person that you talk to that kind of does all of those or not all, but many of those things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think it will evolve over time to really fit the same world we have today, except there'll just be more technology. Yep. But there will still always be human advisors. You can't talk to a robot about, you know, if if a, somebody close to you passes away mm-hmm. and you need to know what to do, Right. you're not going to call a robot.
0: No, definitely so, not. Yep. There's a little bit more of a human experience there. 100%. And... I, I don't know if, if this is kind of a word that makes you cringe. I'm kind of in that camp a little bit, but the term Fiborg is something that I heard a lot about the last couple of years. And <laughs> I think just the incorporation of that, you know, financial automation and that human side is absolutely, obviously, if we're not already there, it's certainly where everybody's headed in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the future look like for you in your business?
1: My goal. For the business is to ultimately end up building a business where i can train more people to do what i do cool. um, teach people how to be great educators um, and grow the knowledge amongst the next generation on how to be smart with your money and not mm-hmm. make silly decisions so um you know right now i teach i teach the classes and i love it mm-hmm. um, but one day i want to give you know young bucks like me, mm-hmm. um, an opportunity to, to learn how to be good in front of people, um, how to present, how to answer questions on the fly, which is something I really love when you get challenging questions in a room full of 50 people and you have to be able to answer it on the spot right. eloquently. Right. Um, and so those are all skill sets and they're really fun to learn. And uh, it's, really, it's a really rewarding job that I think a lot of people would like to be able to do where you see you know, 50% of the people in the room say, oh man. I never thought of that. That is mm-hmm. so valuable. I'm going to go do that tomorrow nice. um, and help myself for the future. So ideally I, I um, just build and have more instructors like myself teaching these classes all over the country.
0: And so you guys are going into to different employers and delivering these courses.
1: Right. Yeah. So we have four different offerings mm-hmm. um, that usually get put into some form of a package for them. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the workshops mm-hmm. uh, that are interactive with large groups. And then without fail, if they didn't already sign up for it, by the time we leave, a handful of the employees are asking for one-on-ones. And so awesome. the employer can just pay for those. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the employee gets it as a benefit. That's and so. Yeah, we we add on that. Um, I also do something pretty neat that's um, from my tech background at uh, my last job. But um, I can plug into – another service is to plug into your existing communication channels. A lot of people Mm -hmm. use Slack, Mm -hmm. um, and they can create a channel for me, and I do office hours where I will uh, twice a month sign in take a look at uh, what folks have questions on and answer mm-hmm. questions, send articles, et cetera, mm-hmm. and um, answer things more frequently than maybe uh, in a one-on-one session or how often we do the workshops. Very cool. And they also have access to the content library that I've produced, so um, I have um, some slightly different things that I've made proprietary that if you become a client, you get that content library for free.
0: There's a lot of good stuff for free too.
1: Yeah, right? that's true. That is true.
0: <laughs> At least as far as I've noticed. Yep. I can't even wait to see what sort of things open up behind that closed. That's door. right. Um, awesome. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap up?
1: Um, you know, I think the, the one thing that I will say is, um, It's been great getting, I don't know if any folks here know our background, but we went to school together, um, and it's been great starting this business and and finding out how many other folks that I've crossed paths with over the years have gotten into the finance industry as well and are um, trying to make a splash and do things slightly differently. And so it's super exciting to hear what you're doing, Um, and it's been great to uh, get to know each other again now. Almost 10 years later. I know. Um,
0: Such a trip.
1: Yeah. So I would say, you know, that is really fun um, to, to find new people and, and old friends that are coming out and saying, you know, one, super exciting that you're doing this business. I yep. think it's really valuable. Um, and I'm just hoping that, you know, I continue to have success with employers wanting to build financial wellness into one of their offerings um, because I just think it's so valuable for their employees.
0: Good old coffee house days. That's oh right. My God. That's right. Holy land and uh, chopping bagels. Oh <laughs> my
1: gosh! Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And It's the, crazy how much it's changed too. I know. Yeah, they it's just unrecognizable. Re- I, it is. It's they a completely sad. gutted the whole thing. I know. <laughs> but the pictures are still there, so That's that
0: counts. True. Are they really? Wait, all I, the pictures of the I think previous so. staff and stuff. Yeah,
1: they're still up in the. Cor- I mean, they're tucked away in the corner, yeah. but yeah
0: sure I still have some sort of red apron in my costume yeah, or something. I'm sure you uh, do. Um, awesome, well thank you so much. Oh, one last question. Yep. Where can people find your work?
1: Oh yeah, um, so right now if you go to uh, wealthinhand.com, mm-hmm. um, you can find out more about the financial wellness programs and the one-on-one sessions, a lot of the contents there under either the video library, which is what we were talking about a lot, uh, or the blog section that has uh, my latest posts.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Magda. really appreciate your time.
1: No problem. My pleasure.
0: And thanks for coming to Plan Francisco. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed. Please be sure to subscribe and visit us again soon here at Plan Francisco.